welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's my pleasure today to be here with Dr. Peter Rupert, an economist at UCSB, and uh, somebody we're all familiar with because you are always in the news, you're always doing stuff with your economic forecast project, and you're really smart when it comes to the economics and sort of looking at the trends and looking forward to what's to come. And I know lots of people in this community turn to you for your insight and your expertise and your teacher at UCSB affecting generations of students. And really, I'm honored that you would take the time to talk to me about some economic issues facing the city of Santa Barbara. Dr. Rupert, how are you doing today? Great, Josh. Thanks so much for having me on. I really admire your work that you've done on the writing and these podcasts, I think, are doing just great for the for the community. And you know, I try to do what, what you're doing is, you know, make sure the community is aware of certain issues and really want people to understand, you know, what's going on so they can make better policy decisions, whether it's our, our official policymakers or businesses or residents, you know, whoever needs information to make better decisions. Yeah, well, thank you. And that is exactly why I want to talk to you today, because we have a vote coming up in the city of Santa Barbara having to do with rent control or rate, rent stabilization, however you want to refer to it. But the city of Santa Barbara has been discussing this issue for some time now. And the latest flashpoint in this discussion is coming up Tuesday. And they're going to be talking about whether to proceed on this road, whether to pay some money for a consultant. And I wanted to talk to you about the issue of rent control, rent stabilization, what that means from an economic perspective. I think we can start the conversation with the premise that we would all love for everybody to be able to live in Santa Barbara and be able to afford housing in Santa Barbara, and that it's tough to make it work in Santa Barbara. So I'll let you speak for yourself, but I don't want any viewer to think that you're coming at this from a perspective of exclusivity. I think you're coming at it from a perspective of there are different ways to address this issue of housing in Santa Barbara. So let me just throw it out to you. What do you think of rent control? Is this going to work in Santa Barbara? You know, uh, look, um, I've been ta- I've given some talks around town about this. And, you know, historically, I try not to give the same talk twice. But this issue is a big one for Santa Barbara. And you know what I mean by that is it's a decision that could be made that could affect our, our community for decades. And so we have to be very, very careful. So what do I think of rent control? Let me explain what um, a, a quick quote from Gunnar Myrdal, who won the Nobel Prize in 1974. Um, and he was the main architect of the Swedish socialist system. So he's as socialist as you can possibly get. Um, he said rent control has in certain Western countries constituted maybe the worst example of poor planning by governments lacking courage and vision. And so the the idea of rent control, you know, has been around for a long time. I mean, it really started around the world back in the the 1940s, uh, right after World War II. And, you know, for different reasons in different countries, but many, many countries have, have, have gone through rent control. And I can tell you now we have 80 some years of data And I know many people don't trust economists, don't like economists, you know, whatever. Um, This is not about theory. 
I mean, our theories would suggest that rent control is, is it does damage. However, the data is just unequivocal. In every place it's been tried around the world for some 80 years, it has failed. And, it, it, and the same thing happens over and over and over again. What happens is um, we see a deterioration of, of apartments. Not only that, we see a decline in the number of apartments available for, for rent. So if we have a housing shortage now and it's not affordable, a few years from now, we're gonna see even, it's even worse. And there's many, many places where you can go to, to think about that. The best one is Sweden after World War II, they instituted rent control. Um, the year before they instituted it, there was about 1100 apartments available and it was something like 40 people without a home. Three years later, there were zero apartments available and 1200 people looking for apartments who, who didn't have a home. And this has happened in every place it's been. Cambridge, Massachusetts, the prime minister of uh, Vietnam said, what the US couldn't do with bombs, we did to our own city with rent control. Wow. So this is a disaster in every city you know, that's, that has ever happened. Um, just re recently, there was uh, rent control imposed in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, and by the way, every form of rent control, and, and I know that the city may want to do a study on how best to implement rent control. It's, they're tried all over the place, all kinds of different forms, rent stabilization, what does that mean? It means rents can only grow at a certain percent. Or you could think about the level of rents. You wanna just hold it constant for a 10 year period, for example, that's been tried in Madrid. Um, so you know what basically happens is that all of these things are just a form of, of, of regulating prices. So let's take an example today, Josh. You know, suppose we said, okay, today, you, know, you can increase rents 2% per year plus inflation. Well, inflation is eight percent. So, are you going to say to people, okay, it's right now okay to raise, you know, uh, rates ten percent? Inflation was eight percent. Average wage growth in the United States was only a little over four percent. So, what that means is that people's incomes aren't keeping up with that. So, trying to devise a system to control rents like this is just not workable. It never has been, and it's never going to be. Now. <clears throat> You know, how you explain it, it makes sense, okay, from an economics perspective, but I've heard the argument from people who say, oh, come on, these are wealthy property owners, these are people who are trying to get the most amount of money that they can from their tenants, and a lot of them, they don't even live locally, they, they might be an investment property. Really, what we're talking about, Peter, is asking the homeowner, the property owners to maybe can you take a little bit of less profit in order to help this community house the service workers, the people who help make the community run. Right. So can you can you talk about that? Because I'm sure there's lots of studies that indicate it doesn't work. But at the bare level, is this not just about asking the property owners, hey, why don't you take a little bit less to make the community a better place? Right, right. So Agreed. Now, you know, one thing, and I don't have all the data on this, but, you know, so for example, you know, how many of these owners of apartments are, or corporations or companies or, you know, many, many of them, I'll say close to 50% are just individuals who own one apartment 
it might be on in their backyard, it might be above their garage, whatever. Um, they're just barely making it themselves, perhaps. And so now you're asking them to take their own cut in income, you know, when they're trying to, to survive as well. You know, so so once we've decided on rent control, we have to realize that we're redistributing income. And we would like to think, like you said, that these richer people who are owning the apartments maybe um, can take a little bit less. So that would be a transfer of income from rich people, richer people to poorer people. Okay. However, um, this recent study that, that happened in St. Paul, Minnesota, by the way, St. Paul instituted rent control in November of 2021. Um, just a few months later, they have seen an 80% decline in housing construction in St. Paul. And in Minneapolis, their neighbor, it's growing like, it's growing like crazy. Okay, so, so what happened in, 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 in St. Paul, two researchers from USC, they went and looked at parcel by parcel data and they got house prices by parcel number. What they found was that in those lower income areas where there was rent control, housing prices fell and in the areas that were richer, housing prices grew. So it turns out that the transfer of income was from poor people to rich people. So before we institute something like rent control, you know, do people really know all the, the, the places where people are gonna be, are gonna benefit or be hurt? Now, it's certainly true that certain people who are currently in their apartment, if their apartment's rent control, they'll gain. So those people will gain. It turns out, are we going to rent control every apartment in, in Santa Barbara? If we're going to choose some of them, a study in San Francisco showed that after rent control was imposed in the 90s, the average rent in the city went up by 5%, even though housing costs for the, uh, in, in the rent controlled areas didn't rise by very much. Um, so, so what we're doing basically is we're going to give some people who are already in those places, yes, they're going to benefit. Now question, how long do they actually live there? Again, uh, this, this study, the study, the data from San Francisco, of maybe five years later, only 10% of the original people are still in those apartments. And because it's developed a housing shortage, now there are fewer apartments available. Anybody new coming in, low-income individuals, they're really priced out of the market. So what you end up with is rather than keeping a nice diverse um, uh, community in terms of income and occupation, people have found you're actually gentrifying and um, these, these neighborhoods with rent control, just the opposite of what people were hoping for. So again, it, it's, it's a very, very deep and controversial issue. Now, personally, I like to say, listen, sure, I think it's a bad idea. Almost every economist thinks it's a bad idea, including the socialist Gunnar Myrdal, you know. Um, so is there a better way? And for me, there is a better way. So once you control prices and you do not let those individuals get the return on their investment, whether it's a small mom and pop shop, whether it's a corporation, um, they're not gonna build any more houses. They're not gonna keep them up. They're not gonna maintain them. So what we really need to do is have some courage and vision, like Gunnar Myrdal said, for our politicians, come up with a better strategy. So what would that strategy be? So my, my way of thinking is we could do something like Section 8 housing where 
where low income residents are subsidized, we could expand that program. Don't go through Section 8. Just give people the money directly. So it would be, you know, Josh, look, you know, I know you're not making much income as a journalist. Sorry about that. But, you know, um, and, and, and Santa Barbara is expensive. So we know that for you to rent a place, a two bedroom place for your family or three bedroom, you know, it's $3,000 a month. Josh, we see that you're only able to afford $2,000. So we'll transfer that money directly. Mm-hmm. That is a real transfer from the tax base, richer people to lower income people. What does that do? It allows you to pay the market rent. It allows the landlord to fix up the place. It allows construction to know they're gonna get the market rent. So once we restrict people from from getting the market rent, it's really gonna be devastating for years to come, years to come. I mean, that sounds like a really innovative idea. What would be the funding source in that kind of scenario? How would, for example, the city of Santa Barbara find money to pay for everyone who has a gap between their wage and what the market rent is? Well, you know, look, I haven't gone that far yet, but, you know, Section 8 is a federal program. Um, You know, what we're doing is we're taking taxes from people. Um, We don't know which people. I mean, it's not like we're taking them directly from landlords. You know, we're taking them from all of us. And once as a society, we'd agree that, you know, we want people, like you said at the, at the outset, you know, we want people to be living here and they may have a hard time living. So let's help them. And that's what I'm about. You know, I think we should help them. I want a very diverse community. You know, I, I love the fact, you know, what Santa Barbara is. I think rent control is going to change the landscape of Santa Barbara dramatically. And, you know, one that I'm really not in favor of. Um, So I think that, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these things that people call unintended consequences, if you know something's going to happen for sure, is it an unintended consequence? I know what's going to happen, you know, both from theory and from the data that we have 80, 80 years across the globe, that there's a increase in the shortage of housing, which eventually drives out people who can't afford it. We're not going to see any movement of, of uh, lower income individuals, more diverse coming into Santa Barbara. That would be, a, there'd be an end to that. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of nuances of government budgets and city funding and county funding, but just to your average person, when you hear, hey, they're going to spend $200,000 on a, a consultant study for a state street master plan, you know, consultant study and all of these other things the city of Santa Barbara spends money on. It's, it's interesting to think, well, why would you spend money on the studies if you can actually give the money directly to people who are most in need? And, you know, I'm sure there's other issues of how long would you want to do that? And, you know, is there a sales tax that you could fund, you know, like general fund and, and have some kind of right. program? But we saw during the pandemic, you know, there was all of this sort of assistance that was that was handed out for people, yes. you know, uh, rental relief, even restaurants, that sort of thing. Um, you know, when we hear the other side talk, it's a very emotional issue. And that makes sense. Uh, there are people in this community who grew up here and maybe their family members did not own property. Their parents rented. And then, uh, you know, they, they have to rent and then they're slowly getting pushed out. 
there's data that suggests that we're losing Latinos from Santa Barbara at higher rates than, than in the past. How do we tackle this issue, uh, Peter, where, you know, you mentioned one program, right? Like maybe there's a more direct way to help people pay their rents, but from a bigger picture, how do we solve this problem where we have not enough housing, the housing we have, landlords are going to charge as much as they can or what they can, whatever the market bears. And you're always going to have Santa Barbara be a tourism industry. You're going to have people who can't afford these outrageous rental prices. What, how do we do this? What is the long-term answer? Yeah. So look, the long-term answer, which, you know, again, people don't want to hear, you know, this is all about economics. This is about supply and demand. You know, the fact that Santa Barbara, we're living in a very high demand area for lots of reasons. Uh, Supply is restricted. And, you know, let me see a politician come in and say, you know, we can solve this problem. Let's build a bunch of, you know, 40 story, you know, high rises, you know, down by the beach, you know, or, you know, no, you get laughed out of town. Right. I mean, so, you know, we've restricted building. Uh, It's very, very difficult. I mean, I'm really happy to see, you know, uh, AUD programs where people can add a, a unit in their in their to their garage or whatever you know that's increasing supply a little bit. I think what a lot of people believe, and I've heard this from from some, you know, Santa Barbara's unique, you know, and yeah, you know, can landlords afford a little bit less? Um, well, Santa Barbara's not unique. No one is unique when it comes to the laws of economics. I mean, we have to abide by these laws. You know, Santa Cruz thought they were unique. Santa Monica, you know, um, you know, you name it, Berlin instituted rent control two years ago. If you Google rent control in Berlin, what you'll find is everyone says after one year, it's a disaster. It just took a year, you know, and I told you in St. Paul, it took just a few months. So this stuff can happen very, very fast, um, but it can have long lasting effects. And you know, Cambridge, Massachusetts, a very liberal place, they got rid of rent control. You know, you know, you name it and, and places got rid of it. Sweden got rid of it. Um, now, if we want to go down the rent control path, what are we going to do? Is there going to be a rent control commission? You know, how are we going to impose it? Now, if that's the study that's being done, I keep telling people around town, I'll give you 50 studies that have been done already give me the $200,000 and I will give it to, to renters. I'll just give it, I, you know, I'm, and, you know, so it's back to what you said. I mean, we're going to spend all this money on consultants um, to study a problem that we know the answer to. And believe me, there is no efficient way to impose rent control, whether it's the growth of the, of, of the returns, you know, are we going to put it on old construction or are we going to put it on old construction and new construction? San Francisco's rule was they, They said, you know what? We know that there are these mom and pop owners of apartments. We won't put it on them. We'll put it on these, you know, like 10, 20 unit, you know, buildings. Then after a time, they said, well, that's kind of unfair because what was happening is corporations were buying up the mom and pop shops that had no rent control, you know? So then San Francisco voted, no, no, let's put it on everything. So it's a very nice natural experiment where you change the rule all of a sudden and they could see what happened. And that's where gentrification went up individuals yes they benefited for a time being but at the end of five or six years i can't remember the number is you know only 10 percent of the original people were in those apartments and so you know again i know they want to do a study 
we, we don't need to spend 200,000 on the study, believe me, we kind of know what's gonna happen. And the question is, as a city, you know, do we wanna go down that path? And you know, my view is no study, you know, let's work on other ways to sort of solve this problem that would lead to you know, more construction, et cetera. Now, point number two is we're not unique in terms of people wanna live here. It's expensive to live in Manhattan. People commute two hours, you know, to get into Manhattan to work. It's expensive to live in San Francisco. It's expensive to live in London. You know, you name it, these cities all think they're kind of unique. Housing prices have gone up everywhere. That's going to slow down, obviously. We're not going to see such, but I don't believe rents are going to slow down in the, in the near future. Rents are going to continue to grow. Now, do we think that capping rents at a 2% growth or whatever the number is going to be? Um, no, all of those things that I mentioned are going to happen. In fact, what's really interesting, there's a book called Rent Control, Myths and Reality written back in the 80s, where they go through country by country that's imposed it and talk about what happened. But the beginning of each chapter is a picture of a burnt out or bombed out building. And the caption underneath says, rent control or bomb damage. And like a third of them, are from rent control from the South Bronx, from places where, you know, over a certain number of years, things just get so bad that it looks like a bombed out building. So again, these are long-term consequences. Now, why do I think rent control exists? I think it's easy to implement. I mean, city council can just say, you know what, let's put rent control in the city of Santa Barbara, put up your hand if you're for it. It's an easy solution. Number one, um, there are many more renters than landlords, right? So they can be outvoted. There's, you know, and, and so, so that can happen. You know, your constituency, you might wanna say, you know, my constituency says we want rent control. This is where politicians need courage and vision. It doesn't work. Um, so, you know, my plan is, you know, we have really talented people in town that can work out this issue. Um, we don't need a study of a consultant um, I'm happy to do whatever I can. And I know many, many people are willing to come up with a solution that's going to be fair, efficient, and long-lasting. Yeah, that's, that's great stuff, really worth uh, thinking about. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people are going to learn a lot from what, what you're saying. You know, I'm, I'm a journalist. My opinion doesn't matter, but I did grow up in this community. And um, I we grew up as renters. I went to five different elementary schools because... Every time the rent went up, we moved, uh, yeah. try to find something the same as what we were paying, what my parents were paying. So I am somebody who's had to deal with poverty in, in Goleta, in Santa Barbara, whatever that looks like. I know, obviously, people have much worse around the world, but my frame of reference, and we didn't have any money. My parents didn't own any money. They never bought any houses. They never bought any homes. Uh, my father lives in a studio uh, today. It's it's really difficult, um, you know. And so when I hear like the theory of all this stuff, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking like, I wish we could find a way to pay for locals. People were born here to stay in this community. I care a lot more about that than I do necessarily the the activists who come into town who grew up in the Bay Area and want to do these things to sort of you know look at this from a theory. I say let's start at the beginning where. Yeah. I have so many yeah. friends who had to move out of the area. I agree. You know, Oxnard, I agree. Ventura, Lompoc, or they just like, I'm going to Arizona. I'm going to 
Oregon, right. you know? And so I think the real tragedy of this is uh, that there's just a lot of local people who grew up here that got pushed mm-hmm. out because of the high cost of rent. But at the same time, this is almost like a human nature issue. It's, it's, you can't legislate what no. people want to charge for rent because most people are going to charge what they can according to the market. And what is, do you know, Peter, what the, what is the profit margin for your, you know, property owner? I know it varies, but it varies. Are, are they making, I mean, is it million dollar profits a year? I mean, what is it? Is it small? What is it? Look, it's, it's, it's a very, very competitive business, you know, and if people were making outrageous returns, you know, they get bought out or there's new construction, um, you know, going on, you know, and again, as I said, you know, many of these owners are just individuals who happen to own one small apartment in, on, on, you know, um, there. And so that's why San Francisco said, you know, let's just put it on, you know, corporations, but given it's a very competitive business, you know, their rates of return are not much different than anything else on any other investment. And, you know, is it a lot to ask somebody to take, you know, 2% less or, you know, well, if the profit margin is 4%, you know, taking 2%, you know, less, it's, you know, it's cut your profit in by 50%, you know? So, so look, I don't know where, where it lies, but, you know, as I said, if people are making outrageous profits and that's why I mentioned the San Francisco thing, when they saw, when people saw that these individuals who could charge market rent, because uh, they had small little apartments, people came in and bought those up. And they bought them up because outside of that, rents are growing. And in San Francisco, we saw a 15% decline in um, the number of apartments available after they got rid of this rule. So, I mean, after they imposed rent control. So, look, there's lots of churning that goes on in a, in a community, in a city, lots of it. So, you know, imagine, you know, in the 1970s, let's say, or 80s, you know, you're with your family, you know, your husband and wife, you have two kids, you're living in a three bedroom place, you know, and suppose it's rent controlled. Now, suppose the kids move out, the spouse dies, now you're by yourself in a three bedroom house, you're not moving, right? (laughs) You're not moving. And so, you know, what that does is that stops a young family from being able to move into that place who would really value the space a lot more than you are because it's rent controlled. So we're gonna stop that kind of churning. And what you mentioned before, sure, you know, there are some people who are moving out who are you know, native Santa Barbarans and who would like to be here. But if we have rent control, no one else is gonna move in that, that looks like that. That's the problem. Who's gonna move in? Well, you know, it's gonna be richer. It's gonna be, um, as I said, you know, the way the, the income gets redistributed. So I think, you know, it's a hot button issue. There's no doubt about that. Um, we, we can't let our emotions run away with us, though. You know, we really have to understand what the long term effects of this are going to be and, and how we can solve it. And unfortunately, in this, you know, can we build cheaper housing? You know, do we want to build low income housing like we did in the 70s? That was a complete disaster. Um, in the short run, maybe people have to commute longer distances. We see that happening now with housing prices going up so much, more people are moving to Lompoc, for example, and commuting in. Of course, that creates pollution, 
maybe we have a better bus system, you know, we, we widened the 101 freeway. Why didn't we put in a little light rail system like they have in many cities down the center, you know, going from Ventura, you know, up here, make it convenient for people. Not everyone can afford to live here or Manhattan. It's unfortunate. And we do need our school teachers, firefighters, you know, people who work in restaurants, give them the money directly. That's my point. Yeah. Let them decide, you know? So anyway, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, well, and I was at the news press back in where I got hired in 99. God, that was a long time ago. We were writing about these issues, about long-distance commutes from Ventura, Oxnard, Lompoc, Santa Maria. You know, there was talk, there have been talks of splitting the county over the years, you know, because of the tale of two counties. People rent other places for less and come in. And so, you know, it is an issue. It's, it's been an issue for for a long time. I'm going to ask you kind of a real petty journalism question, Peter. Sure. You're looking at a family, you're looking at a, a, a family, we'll say a Latino family, husband, wife, or, you know, two, two parents and three kids, the rent's gone up. They can't afford it. They need to move. The theory makes sense. The data makes sense. What do you tell those people about what their options are uh, with without rent, rent stabilization or rent control. Right. I mean, you know, look, it's unfortunate. And, you know, like I said, not everyone gets to live in Manhattan. Not everyone gets to live in these places. If, if I thought at all that, you know, telling people, okay, let's fix that rent, you know, for the next 10 years, um, which has been tried, um, you know, and, and you can stay there, um, you know, is that the best for our community? And, you know, certain families are going to get hurt. Right now, certain families are being hurt, you know, without rent control. Other families are going to be hurt with rent control. Some of those new people who want to move here, you know, or maybe, you know, someone who was in Santa Barbara who, who moved and they want to come back. I mean, that kind of movement, you know, it always kinds of, it, you know, it always happens in, in, in any city. And, you know, that's why I'm saying that, you know, a, a better way is like, look, you know, we understand you can't, you know, you can't afford to live here right now. Um, you know, is, is Lompoc a better place? Do I want to force somebody to move to Lompoc? No. Do I want to stop people from moving in who would value this place more? Um, so I'm very interested in having a very diverse community. Um, you know, I love Santa Barbara. Uh, and, you know, I think it's hard, but is it any different than someone saying, you know, I know you had a job in this, in, you know, in our business, but our business is not doing well. Sorry, you have to look for a new job. You know, that, that happens and it's unfortunate. So again, I want to make sure that we maintain the, the current structure, the demographics that we have, the diversity that we have for a long period of time. And I think rent control does exactly the opposite. I love your idea. I just give the money directly, much like the voucher system to the people. And well, we do it, for, we do it out. for food. We do it for food. We give people food stamps. We, we look at their income. We know what they should be spending for food and we give them food stamps. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like this is a, you know, a brainstorming idea. You know, it's like we already do it for certain commodities, you know, and I realize that people, you know, we need people, you know, where to live. You know, people should have a decent place to live. We all want that. So if we're going to keep growing, which, you know, 
some people want to grow, some people don't want to grow, but um, how do we deal with the housing shortage? I say, don't make it even more short by having <laughs> rent control. That's what I say. <laughs> All right. That's, that's, that's really good stuff, Peter. Thanks for taking some time to sort of hit that issue uh, square on. I want to talk to you about just a couple of other things. We're coming out of the COVID pandemic. I guess we're in the endemic stage and we all are behaving a lot like we used to before the pandemic. We're eating outside or eating inside. We're not wearing masks, although some people are. And the economy seems to be turning around. Uh, what do you see in terms of how we're coming out of the pandemic. Are we better than we were? Are we still way behind? What is the status of yeah. business? Great question. I mean, I think if you look at the, the, the labor side of things, the employment side of things, we're pretty much back. Um, uh, you know, Santa Barbara, we're now down to, the data came out today, I think it was like 3.4% unemployment rate or something like that. Um, you know, employment is almost back to where it was pre-pandemic and all, in many, many places, still accommodation, food services is a little bit low. But, you know, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, you know, during the pandemic, before that, some people were working in, in you know, an industry just to, just, you know, to make sure they had some income to, to live on. During the pandemic, when we got rid of a lot of uh, businesses, we told businesses, you know, you have to close down or you have to shut down, you can't eat indoors, et cetera. You know, they had to, lay people off and they we got ppp money we got increased unemployment insurance and you know so what's the maybe bright side of that that maybe it gave people an opportunity to say you know what that current job i was in it really wasn't going anywhere and you know i want to go somewhere so now that i have this extra unemployment insurance maybe i can go back to school learn a little bit more maybe i can search for a better fit for me now that i have a break, you know, because it was a forced break. Yeah. And normally you wouldn't say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to quit. And then, you know, I, what am I going to live on? But I think maybe, you know, I'm hopeful about this, that it's given some people an opportunity to reflect on what they want, really want to do and get into better job matches. So people say we have, so right now we have more job vacancies in the United States than unemployed people by a long shot. So the question is, why aren't people taking those jobs? Well, part of it, it might be that they're looking for better opportunities, you know, and we're starting to see, you know, firms having to pay more higher wages and bonuses and benefits to, to get people to come back to work. I hear it in every industry, every industry, you know, so if there's a bright side to any of that, you know, you know, that's my hope. But in terms of the labor market, we're back, basically. Um, Incomes are going up. Housing prices are just gone nuts. Rents have gone nuts. Um, that's not going to continue in terms of housing prices. Uh, now, is everyone going to work from home? I, I don't think so. I mean, I think many businesses believe that there's a cultural thing that you need to have for your business, that you need people around the shop. Um, do I think firms are going to give more flexibility? I think that's one of the demands right now of workers. Like we want more flexibility. You know, sometimes we want to come into work. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes I want to work four hours today and nine hours tomorrow. And I think allowing that kind of flexibility is going to be very useful. I still see people buying office space. It's not like office space is going away. Um, I think, you know, the Nordstrom building recently just got purchased. And I think what I heard was they're going to take 
the top two floors and they're going to turn them into offices. So they believe, you know, they put their money on the line. They believe that, you know, people are going to want to come to, to uh, you know, to the office. I think Google told their employees to start coming back to work on in Santa Barbara, you know, so Appfolio, I think now has, I ride my bike by, by their parking lot and I can see that the parking lot is, uh, you know, getting more full, you know, day by day. Yeah. Uh, so I think people are going to come back to work. I think people enjoy going to work. I think people enjoy the socialization. We're social animals after all, except for Josh. I know you stay home a lot and work at home, but you know. <laughs> hey, I've earned that right. I spent a lot of years out there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Let's talk about, you mentioned Nordstrom. Let's talk a little bit about downtown. Uh, we have outdoor dining and we had this huge change where State Street was closed to traffic, at least several blocks of it. We moved outdoor dining or we created outdoor dining. We had the parklets. And yeah. if you've been down there, it's amazing. There's like so much energy you see a lot of young people, you see multi-generational people just sort of having a good time, eating, yeah. walking, there's skateboarders, there's just a whole new energy down there. Is State Street headed in the right direction? We still have retail storefronts that are vacant. That, right. What is it? The CVS, yeah. the Rite Aid just closed. Uh, right. Do you have any sort of micro thoughts on, on that part of town? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, once the pandemic happened um, and we saw what was what was going to go on, um, you know, using our crystal ball, if if we told every business, you, you know, you couldn't be out in the street with, with dining, all those places would have closed, you know, and and, you know, to me, that would have been a, just a, a, a devastating thing for our, our community. So I was a big proponent of saying, listen, you know, get people get people outside, you know, open up, you know, did we have to close down State Street? I'm not sure, you know. Maybe the sidewalks were enough. I mean, let's not debate that at this point. I mean, the point was just to get people outside. You know, if we had had a little more time, it would have been like, you know, like everything else we do here. We want every parklet to look the same. They should all have red tile roofs, you know, and um, whatever. But, you know, I was a big believer in just making sure these businesses stayed alive. Um, and it is fun to see State Street, you know, alive like that. Um, it's also fun to see the funk zone. <laughs> alive like that with no planning no anything um and i think if if we let businesses do what they need to do you know i think that state street will survive and it'll thrive like crazy um do we need to shut down traffic on state again i live i grew up in burlingame you know up in the bay area they have one street basically like like state street um they never shut down the burlingame avenue they let parklets go out a little bit um, they cut off some parking spots, but many, many restaurants are just on the sidewalk and people are maneuvering around. They're able to get through um, and allow traffic. Um, so I don't think it's about whether or not State Street is closed to cars. I just think that's kind of a little bit of a red herring, yeah. if you will. I think, you know, what's important is that we promote, you know, outside dining and, and let this look like a place that we'd want to walk down State Street and and with our family and then a stroller and their dog and, you know, and, and enjoy being on, on state street or, or whatever street. Now, some issues are tough. So for example, how about the businesses off of state street? Yeah. You didn't close the st those streets. A lot of them, you know, are we picking winners and losers by saying, look, you know, we let these 
individuals on State Street have a lot more space than they're paying for, right? They're paying rent, but now they have double the space because they're on the, on the street. Other businesses off of State Street don't get that. So, you know, I think we have to be really, really careful about who the winners and losers are and how we, how we think about, you know, can, can we somehow help the losers who, who weren't able to, to branch out into the street? So I think it's a, it's a really tough issue, Josh. Yeah, it is. You mentioned the funk zone in State Street, and I cover the city of Santa Barbara, and it's just, I don't know the right word. It's entertaining, interesting. Santa Barbara spends all this time on State Street with this committee and this master plan committee, and they pull these people from the past and the present and these activists, and they get in these rooms and they talk about the future of State Street. And Originally, this bid they put out, the Consultant said, oh, that's going to cost you $1.4 million. I know. So they have to reduce, reduce, reduce. And then you look at the funk zone, and we saw an organic development of it, and it's very right. popular. People love it. The only, my only issue with the funk zone is there's not enough place to park, but I <laughs> guess I'm not the demographic for it, you know, because I drive my car everywhere. But um, there's some parking issues there, but it's, a happening place where a lot of people yeah. go. And has there ever been the funk zone master plan committee? No. And so. so I just think it's interesting that there's so much time spent on that sort of conversation yeah. and we're nowhere near any sort of change. And now we have a new mayor and who knows what's right. going to get changed. Maybe go back. Some of it might go back to the way it was sort of thing. So it is interesting. I've had a couple of commercial real estate brokers on the show talk about hotels and hotels are really a booming industry the sale of hotels right now and it's sort of a a good time to buy a hotel uh, to open a hotel and then that goes into this larger debate of well should it santa barbara be looking at housing kind of thing what's going on with the hotel industry from an economics perspective how long is that going to last um you know that's a that's a great question i think that um you know, I think leisure travel picked up very, very fast after during the pandemic and a little bit after. I think that kind of picked up. I think people were afraid to go on planes, and so they took their cars. And um, you know, I mean, again, you know, the hotel business is very, very competitive. Um, so yeah, I don't know what's going on in, in that industry per se, but um, you know, you know, back to the issue that, that you know you were mentioning. I mean, we are kind of a tourist town. I don't think we should build Santa Barbara to be a tourist town. I mean, I think we should build Santa Barbara for me and for you who want to walk down and, and, and do that. And, and then for sure the tourists will come. I mean, if we built it for tourists, I'm not going downtown, you know? So, um, so I think, you know, I want, you know, I like this churning idea. I like the idea that certain stores come and go. Uh, it's unfortunate for the ones that, that go, but, you know, it's a dynamic environment we live in and, you know, you know, 30 years ago, we wouldn't have had a skate park, you know, and, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen. So I think what we have to do is, is allow flexibility, you know, just really allow flexibility and, um, you know, don't constrain businesses. I mean, businesses want to feed their family. They're going to figure out what they need to do, um, you know, to, to, to feed the family, to get, to get customers to come in and, you know, my view is government should like let them do that 
you know, get out of the way of them, you know, given zoning restrictions and things like that are fine, but, you know, let's let it develop. And I think it'll be fantastic. I mean, you, you know, so I, I also canvass Santa Barbara, but slightly different than you do. I go to like Topa Topa and I go to Third Window and I go to Captain Fatty's. I get a lot of beer places, you know, but I look at the, I look at what's going on. And, you know, if you look at Captain Fatty's and, you know, off of Los Carneros, I mean, who would have thunk, you know, that let's open a beer place in a warehouse. Yeah. Right. And you look at, you know, M Special, these places, they're doing so well. Yeah. You know, Third Window, I, I don't know if you've been to Third Window, but no. it's, you know, it's amazing what they're, what they're doing there. And it's where the old mill was, you know, the mill. On oh, the funk zone or on Haley? Haley and Laguna. Yeah. It's right yeah. off the funk zone, Haley and Laguna. But, yeah. you know, in Topa Topa and the Nook, you know, all those places, you know, really took off the Lark, mm -hmm. you know. So, you know, again, you know, they're going to build things that people want and they're going to change as, as, as tastes change. Um, do I think retail's dead? I do not. Um, anyway, I, I always give this quiz, you know, um, during the height of the pandemic, what fraction of all sales was, was online sales during the height of the pandemic? You want to guess? Uh, what, 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 what fraction of sales, of sales was online? What percentage of sales were from online sales? 30%. 11. 11, yeah. 11. Okay. You know, look, as I said, people, we are kind of social people. I mean, I think maybe people maybe they don't want to go to the store to buy certain items like toothpaste or toilet paper or whatever, but we like to walk down the street, try on shoes, try on clothes, yeah. you know, buy flowers, the flower shop. We want to look, we want to, you know, so, so I think retail is going to be there. Um, and yeah, I'm not too worried about that. You're right. Vacancies on state street, the biggest number I think we've ever had Yeah, kind of, you know, right now 40 or something or, you know, um, that's a problem that, you know, that's a definite problem. Can we legislate our way out of that? Don't think so. Um, um, you know, what's going to end up there? You know, I don't know. I don't know, but you know, I'm not a retailer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm going to give you the last word here. You're talking to the Santa Barbara city council right now. <clears throat> what do you want to educate them about final say on the issue of rent control slash rent stabilization and what they should do as legislators. Yeah. My advice is, you know, that rent control is going to damage our city for, for decades. Um, and I don't think they realize that the depth of the problem. And I think that, you know, I would tell them to back way, way off on, on doing studies about rent control. I think we have to look at other alternatives. I don't think we should think about whether we do a 2% cap you know, a 10 year, you know, all that stuff, I would just throw it right out the window. And um, let's, let's be innovative. And like Gunnar Myrdal said, you know, let's have a little bit of courage and vision to tell those people who, who are advocating for rent control. Listen, this is a tough one to tell you this, but we got to kind of let the market prevail here because it's going to prevail one way or another. And I want it to prevail the way I want Santa Barbara to look like. So that's what I would tell them. All right. All right. The brilliant economic mind of Dr. Peter Rupert. Thanks a lot so much for taking time to talk to me about these very complex issues. And 
Um, you have data, you have studies, and I also know you also have a heart, and it's a tough issue to to come at, out at, but I know that you do care about having a diverse community, and it's not really an issue that can be solved by warring. It's an issue that can be solved by communication and collaboration. So thanks a lot, uh, Dr. Rupert. Appreciate, Appreciate your time. It. All right. Thank take you care. so much. Take care.